Chapter Eleven of Curly by Roger Pocock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Eleven: The Gunfight. Before supper that evening, a passing traveler carried a letter to my ranch, and when my boys found out that there was going to be trouble in town, they surely flirted gravel for fear of arriving too late. I placed them at a convenient saloon, explained my plans, made them swear that they would not stray. Then I went to Curly's room and lay low, showing no light, but watching the mortuary hotel just across the street. Ryan sat there in his piazza, ruddy and full, broad and bald as a barn, a ripe man with a gray chin beard. Yes, he was a cheery old soul, popular with the crowd, a power in local politics, well qualified on the outside of him for paradise and in the innards of him for the other place i covered him with my gun and wondered where he would go to when he died i expect he would be craving then for some of that lager beer he sipped so peaceful and for the palm-leaf fan which he used to brush off the heat away off to the right i could see jim sitting on the sidewalk in front of the sepulchre little crook was feeding brandy to him and cigarettes to keep him away from sleep then the train came rumbling in let out a screech and stopped it made me laugh to think what a big hurrah there would be presently when the news got wind of that train being held up by robbers and mr michael ryan led away captive yet there seemed to be no excitement the usual buses and buggies came up from the station the ordinary crowd of loafers, and then our only cab, which crawled to the mortuary to drop one passenger. He was a fat young man, dressed most surprising in a stovepipe hat, a Jew fur coat, gloves, and a smart valise. If any of our cowboys had happened around, they would have fired a shot for luck to see if he wasn't some new kind of bird. But old Ryan came down the steps with a roar of welcome michael he shouted where's your palace car have you sunk so low as to come in a mere cab oh mike i could hear mr michael explaining that something was wrong with the car so he'd had to leave her at lordsburg for repairs of course the robbers not seeing the private car had concluded that their prey had failed to arrive and the train was not worth attacking now michael had arrived and after a talk and a drink with his father these two would stroll over to finish the family vengeance on poor Balshannon. As far as we had missed getting help from the range wolves, so matters were getting mighty serious. I slipped away to my men. Boys, said I, we got to play at robbers tonight, I reckon, but I don't want y'all to get recognized. We may be bucking up against the law and get ourselves disliked if we ain't cautious. So I took a big black silk handkerchief and cut it up into strips. When the shooting begins, says I, you just tie these round your heads to hide your homely faces. Now get your horses and come swift. I posted the three in the small alley which ran between the sepulchre, saloon, and the post office beyond it. Then I went out to guard Balshannon. Being naturally a timid and cautious man, I had a brace of revolvers belted on, ready for trouble. Meanwhile, young Crook 
in the front of the house was sitting all doubled up with grief at the sight of michael ryan boy says jim what's the matter nothing how is it youngin that you know all about my father's affairs and mine i expect says the one-eyed cripple that working my job at the livery i'd ought to know what comes and goes around here is that why you're there to watch crook went white at that you're dreaming says he very faint and you're lending me the buckskin running mare for tonight i've heard of that mare is that the sort of thing to lend to a stranger well sir even a hired man may have his private feelings look here youngster i've seen you before and i remember you now when i saw you once at holy cross you had two eyes in your head and you weren't a cripple suddenly jim snatched away the black pad which was slung over crook's disabled eye two good ones shone out and over one of them the scar of an old wound jim laughed at that but crook forgot to be lame starting back lithe as a panther and his face dead white be careful he whispered there's men passing us my life ain't worth a cent if i'm seen here in town he had the sling across his eye again and broke out laughing <laughs> i mean the doctor says i got to keep it covered or i'll go blind and a blind man's life ain't worth one cent in the dark quit lying you're posted at the stable to see who comes and goes one eye in a sling and one game leg for disguise come here jim dragged him by the scruff of the neck to the post office which stood next door to the saloon with only the alley between and there was an old poster notice on the wall notice the northern pacific and wells fargo express companies offer two thousand dollars two thousand dollars dead or alive for the four robbers who held up the northern pacific express train at gold creek deer lodge county montana on the morning of april third eighteen ninety nine descriptions peter alias bobby stark alias curly mccalmont supposed to be son of captain mccalmont is five feet six inches in height slim fair hair blue eyes clean-shaven soft girlish manner with a scar over left eye the result of a knife wound he is about twenty years of age but looks not more than fifteen and was formerly a cowboy riding for the holy cross outfit in arizona he was last seen on or about may fifth at clay flat in the painted desert with a flea-bitten gray gelding branded x on the near stifle and two lead burrows one of them packed jim turned round sharp on crook you're curly mccalmont says he come away you're risking my neck do you think i'd sell you for that dirty money what you seen others may and they'd act hate strong all right curly don't you forget to walk lame hist here come the rhymes the two youngsters came hurrying into the saloon where i stood watching balshannon while he lost the last of his money jim clutched me by the arm whispering something but i did not catch what he said for curly was making a last play to get balshannon from the tables you quit said he before you're too late patron 
it's too late now says Belshannon. what's the good it's not too late to save your life come quick so says Belshannon, looking up sort of surprised you think you can er frighten me louisiana was leaning forward across the table look a here crook says he you can play or you can get right out but you don't interrupt this game and curly was hustled aside by ryan's watchers now joe the patron was saying let's finish this he staked his last chips and lost then got up with a little sigh thinking i reckon of his wife his ranch his cattle i'm kind of sorry duke says louisiana so am i a little balshannon chuckled i think says the gambler stacking away his great big heaps of gold and silver coin i think that you are fortunate pete balshannon answered lightly i dare not think i'm closing the game for tonight says louisiana i'm closing the game tonight says lord balshannon he took a cigarette case from his pocket but found it empty felt in his shabby old clothes for money then turned away with a queer little laugh of his which made me ache outside in the street i heard a handbell clang and took notice through the tail of my eye that the room was filling with all the worst men in that bad town of ours there was the alabama kid and beside him shorty broach stage robber and thug beef jones the horse thief gas a tin-horn crook thimble rig phipps and two or three other sure thing gamblers rollers and thugs i went over to the front end of the house where the orchestra were packing up to quit and there at the far corner of the bar were old ryan and michael standing drinks to the crowd yes the game was being set sure enough i saw low-lived joe hurry past me and speak in a whisper to ryan and at that balshannon's enemy stood out to the front of his gang all the scrubs and skin-game men were drifting into that corner behind him until there must have been perhaps thirty gathered loosing their guns to be ready by the faro tables were jim and curly trying to get balshannon out of the house but he broke away and they followed until he came to the inner end of the bar then they stood back a little while he waited to be served here bill he called out cheerfully a barkeep quit the ryans and went to serve him well says he heaps insolent what do you want the patron looked at him smiling you seem out of sorts bill have a drink with me i'll take a whiskey the barkeep glared at him oh by the way says balshannon i'll have to square up for this tomorrow morning terms cash says the barkeep really balshannon smiled at his ugly face oh of course your orders eh well never mind you're so polite bill that er that just by the way of thanks i'll ask you to accept this little token he chuckled him the silver cigarette case and turned away from the bar but i was bull roaring mad patron says i patron i owe you heaps of money here take this but balshannon laid both his hands upon my shoulders smiling right into my eyes dear friend he said you know i could not take money even from you a thick voice was calling from the other end of the bar here barkeep you give this man a drink 
Then the patron looked round. Ah, Ryan, eh? He walked straight up to his enemy. I'll drink with you gladly, Ryan. Suppose we forget the past and try to be good er friends, eh? He held out his hand, but Ryan took no notice. Hello, I see your son is with you, Ryan. Good evening, Michael. Michael just stared at him. The people who had no interest in the trouble must have seen drawn guns before now, because I heard them breaking rapid for cover. The scrub, which belonged to Ryan, was formed up behind him for war, while back of Balshannon stood only Jim and Curly, with the whole rear part of the room behind them empty. The two youngsters seemed to be having baby troubles, for Curly was struggling powerful to break away from Jim. I got to go, he shouted. I can't see to shoot. Then he jumped clear. He had disremembered about being a cripple. He had torn the bandage away from his eye, and over the left brow, clear for all men to see, was his brand, the knife wound. At that, a yell went up from Ryan's crowd, and some of his men surged forward, Louisiana, and low-lived Joe in the lead. I jumped straight at them with my brace of guns. Back! shouted Ryan, holding them back with both arms. Back! Back! What's your hurry? Wait! Come on! came Curly's clear high yell. Two thousand dollars dead or alive if you take me. I'm a sure wolf, and it's my night to howl. You cowards, I'm Curly McCalmont of the robber's roost. Take me who came. Curly had gone plumb crazy throwing his life away to get Balshannon one more chance of escape. But the crooks only saw that the small boy's team of guns were quick in his hands to shoot, and felt real glad of Ryan's outstretched arms. So came the lull, and I heard the barkeep clashing down bottle and glass beside Balshannon. Whiskey, he says in a shaky voice, and yours, Mr. Ryan? Irish, said Ryan, then whispered to his son, who hauled clumsy, getting out his silver-plated pop-shooter, a thing more fit for a girl than a grown man. I like to think of my old patron in those last moments of his life, as he stood at the end of the bar, quiet, peaceful, facing Ryan. He was a tall, straight man, gaunt some, dead weary, but the only clean thing in sight. The gray mustache raked up against the red tan of his face. His hair was curling silver his eyes cool blue. He seemed to be amused with the rhymes, and as to weapons, he just despised the gun. Then he heard the clash of his son's spurs just behind him. Goodbye, I heard him whisper. God bless you, Jim. I reckon Jim was crying. Ryan had swung forward along the bar and reached for Balshannon's empty glass. Here, take your drink, he shouted. The drink you begged for. Balshannon stepped aside while Ryan filled the glass for him to drink. Thank you, he said, but Ryan snatched the full glass, jumped back, swung out his arm. Take that, he yelled, and threw the glass straight at Balshannon's face. The patron took a handkerchief and wiped his face, slow and dainty, but the blood was starting where the glass had struck. I'm sorry, he said, that it should come to this, but as you are not in condition, Mr. Ryan, to fight, I must ask you, Mr. Michael Ryan, to oblige me. Fight? yelled Ryan. Fight a thing like you? Not much. Back, Michael. 
my lord belshannon he sneered do you think my son would demean himself to fight you i observe said belshannon kindly that he seems to be rather warm in that fur overcoat the crowd broke out laughing how freddy i felt then to take the weaker side against a coward the patron was so surely great so much a man so helpless death in his eyes peace on his smiling lips and the ryans and furs and jewelry looked such curves i had stepped back against the wall facing the middle of the bar on the right was the ryan gang on the left balshannon behind me the row of windows which looked on the alleyway where my men lay hid i rapped soft with my knuckles on the window just at my right hand say chalk louisiana was hailing me why don't you stand by the duke have you gone back on the duke i stand here pete said i to see fair play then ryan broke in on me boys he said we don't need chalk-eyed davies to judge our play you know me all of you you know my record and what i've done for our city i've not asked you here citizens to see murder or fighting of any sort but to witness an act of justice done by this lord balshannon on himself the crowd kept still remembering that our leading citizen had acted straight for our city and had a right to be heard now you shall judge as citizens said ryan between this man and me for a thousand years my people the ryans had land and homes in ireland until the balshannons came over with bloody cromwell to steal our little holdings by force of arms we were overpowered we were forced to pay rent to the tyrants but we were free men not slaves we are free men to-day and we have fought for liberty look at this last balshannon this man who once tried to get me hung on a false charge this cowardly brutal ruffian who drove me and all my people out of our homes to die in the bitter cold think of our women starving to death in the snowdrifts and if you doubt me go and ask my wife we were driven she and i and all our people out of the land we loved out of erin beggared hopeless despairing exiles out on the black atlantic we had to bury one of our little children in the sea there stands the murderer do you blame me citizens for wanton vengeance duke says the alabama kid suppose we hear your side you'll hear my side says lord balshannon from ryan this is his court of er justice then he wiped the running blood from his cheek and yawned behind his hand even ryan's men began to look ashamed of such a court vengeance ryan was howling vengeance with the apaches first i turned them loose on your camp vengeance with mccombus robbers i turned them loose on your ranch belshannon swung half round and grasped curly mccombus hand we saw his back shaking with laughter but when he faced ryan again he straightened his lips excuse me he said go on but the crowd remembered how McCalmus wolves had breakfasted with Ryan after that little dinner at Holy Cross. They howled with laughter. "'You may laugh,' yelled Ryan. "'Laugh, you hounds!' But Balshannon lifted his hand, and the crowd were silent. "'Yes, I failed,' said Ryan. "'I had to wait. I waited. But what I couldn't do, you did for yourself. 
yes you belshannon drinkin and gamblin here while your forsaken wife lay dying yonder i had only to find a few friends to lend you money and sharpers to be after rookin you of all you borrowed yes that was me vengeance can you say that failed where is your big estate where are your cattle where is your wife belshannon's face had gone dead with pain but he never flinched and now ryan shouted at him you beggar gambler you broken shaking drunkard you shall finish this vengeance on yourself which you began which needs no hand of mine here he ran forward and jammed a long knife into belshannon's hand finish kill yourself and have done for sure and you're not fit to live you filthy beast belshannon was really faint sick clinging to the bar for support boys i shouted if ryan's a man let him fight stand aside give him room give him a gun patron take this gun i jumped to his side jammed one of my revolvers into his hand then leapt back to my place by the wall ryan's tin-horn pits had deserted him even his son scared to death had slunk away help ryan was screaming Martha! but a gun was thrust into his hand and his own hired thugs shoved him forward to fight belshannon when i call three i shouted and saw belshannon stand like a man cool steady one two three ryan fired and missed before my second call but at the three belshannon's gun blazed out i saw a little black hole between ryan's eyes and he fell forward all in a heap stone dead i reckoned that for years i'd been heaps virtuous keeping my quick gun off belshannon's meat so now i was full of joy because the patron had finished up all the unpleasantness and made peace without loss or damage no grown responsible man had any quarrel left but then my youngsters weren't grown up a bit nor responsible nor anything else but rattled with a gunfight too rich for their blood curly was scared all to pieces jim was right off his head and as to my three kids outside the window they had no sense anyways at their best i ought to have thought of that before it was too late now what matter if young michael eased his feelings by emptying off his toy at the patron his pellets chipped the ceiling and did him credit for a pious son but only got a laugh from belshannon michael just went on popping ostentatious so belshannon showed he bore no malice by throwing his own gun on the bar then somebody called out for drinks as a sign of peace but jim only saw his father being attacked and he surely never had a sense of humor he turned his wolf howl loose and broke his gun arm free from curly's hold then started splashing lead at michael ryan i saw some fur fly off from the jew coat and the next shot dispersed young michael's hat but the third struck low-lived joe on the shoulder then there was surely war for louisiana loved that joe more than anything else on earth and all his friends lashed out their guns curly knelt quick below the blast of lead and jim leapt sudden behind the end of the bar but in a blaze of flame and rolling smoke i saw balshannon clutch both hands to his heart then swing half round and fall 
it must have been then that poor curly fired the two shots which killed louisiana and beef jones a horse thief it must have been then that the window close behind me fell with a crash of glass upon the floor and my three men all masked with guns and rifles poured red-hot slaughter into the ryan crowd that was bad but i felt grateful then while one by one i shot out the swinging lamps which lit the smoke there were five making so many shades of deeper gloom and then dead blackness pierced by flaming guns and at the end of that silence with a patter of running feet the groan of a dying man End of chapter eleven